Hello, welcome back to the Nowhere Office with me, Julia Hobsbawm. And me, Stefan Stern. In this series, we're delving into the world of the office post-pandemic and in particular hybrid working, the story of the moment. We're partnering in this series with Moneypenny, the number one outsourced communications provider. Today, we're going freelance. What are you going to keep in-house? What is essential for your full-time employees to, to retain ownership of versus what could you outsource? And the old model was quite straightforward. The new model is there will be uh, sort of expected tasks that you did think your full-time employees were going to do that have now been cut. When you're freelance, your life is unstructured unless you structure it. And there's going to be a huge problem, I think, for employers who think that they can maintain the same kind of contact and relationship with their people if those people become freelancers. The biggest challenge to people making that transition is these core behaviours. How do I how do I create structure in my day? How do I have the right sense of business development in my life? How do I keep the connections that are nourishing for me to not feel isolated or alone in my work? Well, we'll have more on freelance life with guests coming up. But first, our interviewee is a bit of a hero and someone who also left the uh, corporate world to embrace freelance life. It's Bruce Daisley, formerly from Twitter. He ran the business in Europe, the Middle East and Africa. He's now a writer and consultant on better working and published everywhere in HBR, Wired, Daily Telegraph and beyond. His podcast, Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat, is at the top of the audience league tables and comes with a terrific email regularly attached. So... Let's listen to him. Bruce Daisley, we couldn't be more delighted to have you join us. Where are you at this precise moment in time? We are, of course, on Zoom. We are, of course, hybrid. Yeah, I, I live sort of in North London, so I'm there. I've been out and about a bit, actually. I've been to a few conferences in the last few weeks. How are the conferences working out? Is everyone a bit nervous or are people back in the swing of it? Not really. So the one thing you observe, that there is a new protocol which is most conferences have got the same system which is to try and signal your your degree of comfort so if you have a red wristband on that means god please do not touch me don't even breathe near me if you've got an orange wristband it's like yeah by all means come over and greet me but let's keep it civil (laughs) and then if you've got a yellow wristband it means go ahead and embrace me but the, the interesting thing is that while that system is in place, people tend not to instinctively look at another person's wrist. It sort of needs to be, it, it needs to be like a dog collar, I think. If you don't want anyone to touch you, there needs to be some sort of, some spiked collar. But how much sort of underpinning is going to go back to normal and how much do you want it to? I mean, everything about your work is really about vive la revolution at work isn't it really Bruce yeah I mean look you know and and I guess I've sort of gone on a a journey there because I was a wholehearted evangelist for the the energy that we get from being around other people probably naturally introverted but for me a great day at work was very simply a day that I laughed a lot and the the laughter was entirely forged by either seeking amusement in the trivialities of life or just you know observing something that was funny there's a wonderful thing that one of the 
the world's leading experts on laughter was a guy called Robert Provine. And he passed away a couple of years ago. But Provine says, you know, you find funny by looking for funny. And it's all around you, you know, like ridiculous stuff or symmetry or accidental humours all around us. And, and that was the delight for me of being in a workplace. So, you know, now moving that piece on two years and, and moving all of that on, Absolutely. I, I, I guess I like the disruption of it. I like the fact that maybe it's giving the opportunity for us to challenge some of the hierarchies and the establishments that were there. So it's probably the subversive nature that appeals to me. And how are managers going to kind of make this work for now? And it's a, it's a big question. I'm hearing this word intentional quite a lot. With mm, this idea that yeah. It can't just be a chance happening. We, we, we believe in serendipity, but we've got to kind of plan for it. How are we going to get this agreement of people, intelligent people, the, the people that we want to be surrounded with again in the workplace, as you say, how are we going to, you know, schedule this, plan it, make it happen without being too heavy-handed? I, I spent a long time working in social media. Four years, I would describe YouTube as a bit social media I spent four years there and then eight years at Twitter. And one of the interesting things is that people quite often would produce new things that you could do. And anytime it felt like admin, Users didn't do it. So you might remember, you know, like originally Google came up with the idea of Google Circles as part of Google Plus. And because it required admin to do it, you'd set up your friends circle and your home circle. It required admin so people don't do it. You know, fewer than 1% of users would do it. And I think that's one of the interesting challenges about us talking about where we're going to in work right now, because we are talking about management being more intentional, more considered, more planned out, more structured. And by nature, we tend not to do those things by habit. Number one, there's a huge gap in the market. Like, you know, if we're all, always seeking for someone to create something that ev evades friction and, and removes friction. Personally, I think the simplest way to do this is to make teams smaller. And so you do see some evidence of this. You do see some evidence that, you know, companies and, and teams are saying, right, let's have self-determining units that are smaller. Maybe they're 10 people, six people, eight people. You often get it in software engineering. Software engineering, typically a team is 12 people plus a product manager. And so, you know, you've got 13 people that operate as a unit. The daily standup is very rapid because everyone knows each other. They know all the dependencies. And so the, the unit can move very quickly. And I, I wonder if that model might be more effective. The question is, management is about being promoted out of what you're capable of, you know, classic Peter principle, being promoted out of what you're capable of into what you're no longer capable of selling at. The, the interesting thing is, I think, how much managers will set about doing these master plans and, and mm. planning it doesn't feel like it's necessarily going to be the most comfortable thing for most managers. But I just want to push back a little bit. I mean, of course, the camaraderie side of offices and the culture side and the the social side of offices is, is, is what is vexing managers and leaders, but also so much of office life was in fact not enjoyable or funny. And it was in fact deeply toxic and time wasting before. Do you not think that the cultural shift that's taking place during the pandemic is for people to be like, well, I don't want to be in the office any more than I want to or have to? Yeah, I guess, I guess to some extent, this is one of the big debates, isn't it, at the moment, that if we treat work reductively, it's like a series of tactical 
exercises that we did, then of course we can all do our jobs fully remotely. And the question is whether relatedness plays an important part in that, whether actually if we're going to, if we're going to do our best work, if relatedness and, and sort of feeling connected to other people matters and conceivably it doesn't matter that the people, in fact, I think you talk about the, the growth of freelance work, which is a really interesting one because I don't necessarily spot those big numbers that are forecast coming immediately, but you know, the, the big forecasts there, but to some extent we might say to ourselves, okay, well, you know, let's, boil all of our jobs down to the tasks that we need to do. And, and actually, you know, we, we've mobilized this distributed workforce. The interesting thing is if you actually look into the experience of work, the vast majority of people say they enjoyed their job, not necessarily because they felt the job was meaningful, but when they said they had a friend at work, you know, if, if people said they had a friend at work, it was often the biggest determinant of them saying they enjoyed their job. Now that suggests that relatedness and that suggests that a degree of fraternity, sorority, camaraderie, it suggests that that's far more important to us than we might imagine. There's a, a professor at Wharton University called Sigal Barside and she talks about companionate love and she talks about quite often it's that sense of connection to other people that we we find the meaning in. I might even sort of say that one of the things that we often mistake as calling purpose is often a degree of sort of shared identity. The fact that we feel like we're doing something with other people. Well, I wanted to sort of bring us to a close really on that point, Bruce. I'm sensing, I don't know if you agree, that Generation Z has triggered purpose with a sort of capital P coming into the into the workplace as never before, that it's got to mean something socially and politically and personally. And of course, post-pandemic, people only want to come to offices that give them experiences, offices with running tracks on the roof or <laughs> the gyms or something. And so we we are seeing change at every level, aren't we? We're going to see a very different looking office. It won't necessarily be located in the city in the same way that it was before. And people won't want the same experience of just good pay, good perks, a desk or a corner office. They want an alignment, don't they, between experience and purpose? Yeah, I think to some extent, I'm, I'm very cautious of the purpose word because I think it's been so heavily misappropriated by people who try and pretend that their washing powder company is more than a washing powder company or that their chartered accountants somehow is set out on a mission to change the world because I think most people are far more canny to the transaction that's going on than to be hoodwinked that somehow they are changing the world. That's why I, I believe that sometimes if we thought about those things as shared identity rather than necessarily purpose, they might be more helpful for us. And the interesting challenge about, you know, the moment you start thinking about shared identity and shared identity, so quite often, if you've, if you've ever worked in a bar or a restaurant or any manner of service industry, you know, if the, you're not providing the best food and drink in the world, there's, there's a dignity in, in sort of keeping customers happy and, and serving those things. And you can have a shared identity in that without being in any way sold in the idea that we are somehow selling the best hamburgers on Birmingham Corporation Street. The interesting thing is that if you start looking at a shared identity rather than purpose, then you start spotting the flaws that are to come. So if you imagine this, you know, if you've got all of the workers of a certain age working from home and all of the workers that are much younger 
unable to ever contemplate buying property, but in the office every day, you start seeing some of the schisms that are actually some of the most dangerous ways that politics and society plays out. Once you find that schisms are separated on demographic levels or that have a degree of different identities that push people into different camps, this is where major societal problems happen. As someone who's obsessed with the way that social media and technology has has evolved before our very eyes. I worked at Twitter for eight years. When I started, it was Jonathan Ross sending tweets to Stephen Fry about them being stuck in the lift. By the time I ended, it was governments demanding to meet us because of societal unrest. So, you know, like the, the transformation that happened there. But what you find is that technology can be very good for making you feel connected to people who you share affiliations with, but also can make you feel disconnected from the people you don't. So, you know, I, I think it's a really interesting thing for all of us looking at how this is going to evolve, thinking, okay, how do we make sure that there is a shared sense of identity to the people who work here? And that is common amongst all of the age groups who work here and all of the, the different diverse cross-section of the, the different identities are here. So, you know, for me, that's a really interesting one. I'm, I'm always cautious on purpose. Well, Bruce, thanks very much for sharing our identity this afternoon in the, in the Nowhere office. I have this rather worrying thing flash up on my screen saying that my internet connection is unstable. And that's just one of the other perils of these conversations and not getting together in real life, which I hope we will do again soon. But Bruce, thank you for your relatedness and your solidarity and insights. Thanks so much. Hello, I'm Andrew Collis, CFO at Moneypenny. We answer calls, live chats, and more on behalf of thousands of businesses. Our high-tech solutions allow you to fully outsource your customer service function to us. Integrated into all your technology systems, enabling you to concentrate on what you do best. Make hybrid working work with Moneypenny. Wonderful, provocative insight there as ever from Bruce Daisley. Now, on our way to today's panel discussion, we're making a quick stop off at the hybrid offices of Schroders for our regular section called My Hybrid Life. My name is Hugo Machin. I work for an investment management company called Schroders. And my working life before the lockdowns involved quite a lot of commuting to the office in the City of London. It involved a fair amount of international travel. And I think it was fair to say that I was really kind of moving around an awful lot. And that really all ground to a halt in February of, of 2020. The, the positive side of things was that the company that I worked for had already introduced a cloud-based working system. So it was possible to work from home completely seamlessly, and that worked very well. After a few months of that, it was very hard to remain motivated. One of the most interesting components coming out of, out of lockdowns is how important human contact and human interaction is, and that can't be replicated on Zoom. I think Zoom is hugely effective, and I think that Teams is as well as hugely effective, and we've learned to potentially be much more efficient in setting up meetings and being able to um, sort of meet people virtually. But I think there is a real need for people to be able to, to interact. So I think moving into a post-lockdown world from a working environment, you know, I look at potential investments in office companies and it's really unclear as to how 
the working world is going to evolve. My working life, really, from a post-lockdown perspective, I think is much more balanced. I'm not travelling as much, which I think is is not a bad thing. But I'm going into the office and I'm I'm meeting people, but doing it in a more sort of focused and kind of concentrated way. And then trying to do sort of more deep thinking sort of research from home in a in a sort of a quieter environment. So I think the expectation is is that the way that people work, the utilization of technology, the opportunities that it, it brings is cause for, for a lot of optimism. Now, as promised, we're going to take a look at freelance work in a hybrid world. What does this all mean for those of us who are thinking about going freelance, who are actually going freelance, and those who are going to employ their services in the future? Over now to Julia to introduce today's panel. Joining Stefan and I today to talk about the world of freelance, the very diversity of the world of hybrid, people who make their own luck, are three very accomplished individuals whose business are people, some of whom may well be freelance and who themselves have been or are freelance. They are very well qualified. The first of them is Richard Robinson. He is a serial entrepreneur. He's the managing director of Exium Engage, incorporating e-consultancy and oyster catchers. He was named in the top 100 people working in digital marketing, and he's an award-winning diversity and inclusivity advocate. Then we are joined digitally, virtually, but from another country by Josh Green from Israel. Josh is the founder and CEO of Groove, which is a next generation tech platform for engagement of the very people that we're discussing today. And then we're joined by the legendary Viv Groskop, writer, performer, comedian, serious person. She is a freelance cornucopia. Viv is an award-winning and best-selling writer and podcaster and knows a lot about the freelance world. And Viv, I'd like to start with you. Hybrid is just what freelancers have been doing all along, isn't it? Yes and no. I mean, does anybody really know what hybrid means? <laughs> uh, it strikes me that this word hybrid, which has really come up as a result of the pandemic, is something that people are using to describe this catch-all situation of we don't know what, what the hell's going on now. I think it is very, very difficult for people to say this is what hybrid work is going to look like now. It's going to look like you have a choice between home or office on certain days, it's going to look like you have different kinds of autonomy. And in some ways for a freelancer, those questions are really not relevant because from the start, you're outside of the system. And for me, one of the most important things as a freelancer in the beginning was learning to, and I really hate saying this because one of the reasons I became a freelancer is because I hate this kind of language of organization and jargon and of business but of learning to think of myself as an entrepreneur and that is for me what sustains kind of a, a great freelance life is being able to do the things that you want to do to get paid good money for them to develop good relationships with people that enable you to do whatever it is that you want to do brilliantly and to do that in a professional way involves being entrepreneurial about it so I guess the word hybrid is useful in the sense that it makes you think I'm not just going to be one thing um, I'm also thinking of the term portfolio worker which is maybe like the 1980s version of hybrid and that is useful in a freelance sense but it's not useful in the sense that I think hybrid for working people who are employed 
is going to mean something very different than it does for self-employed people. Josh, the hybrid world is going to be more, not less freelance, isn't it? The data is showing quite overwhelmingly, data I've seen anyway, that more and more people in the professions are going to be freelance. Is that what your impression is? Um, I guess I'm not sure what the label is going to look like. I think there's inevitably going to be a move towards much less traditional career paths. And I think the catalyst of COVID was really supportive in making it feel possible for people. Because one of the interesting things that I see as I talk day in and day out with people that either freelance or work in full-time roles is the biggest challenge to people making that transition is these core behaviors. How do I, how do I create structure in my day? How do I have the right sense of business development in my life? How do I keep the connections that are nourishing for me to not feel isolated or alone in my work? I, I don't know where it will land, but whether they're freelance or employed by an organization, there's still going to have to be a response by the employers that they're going to have to have more fluid and flexible understandings of work and how their work week unfolds. I think that's a really good point, Josh. And perhaps, Richard, I could sort of lob that over to you. How well-placed do you think some employers are to have these conversations? Are we, are we all grown up enough? Are we all ready for the, the frank and practical conversations that we've got to have, employers and employees? Absolutely not, Stefan. Uh, I'd say that the average company is completely unprepared uh, for what they're having to lean into. Uh, hybrid, to pick up on this comment, has become this sort of catch-all word of convenience that people are using. A bit like if you think back uh, two years ago, everybody said that uh, they needed people to go agile. And agile, we understood what it meant. It was this methodology with an uppercase A, crucially, and it was defined. <laughs> we understood it. And then agile became this sort of blamange with a lowercase A, and everybody just threw it at everything and said, we just need a bit of agile. So hybrid is currently being used with a lowercase h is the way to describe it. It's just this catch-all flag of convenience. Nobody really understands what it is. It hasn't really been clearly defined. You know, there's, a, there's an amazing opportunity. If we all wanted to set up a consultancy this afternoon. I would be defining what the central tenants of hybrid with a capital H actually are. I'm going to be going on a write the book and, and go on a lecture tour. But the average employer at the moment is leaning into something they've never had to consider before. I think the bigger question for a lot of employers there is, what are you going to keep in-house? What is essential for your full-time employees to, to retain ownership of versus what could you outsource? And the old model was quite straightforward. The new model is there will be a sort of expected tasks that you did think your full-time employees were going to do that have now been cut and will be uh, sent off into the wilderness. But that mindset, Viv, you give a lot of corporate talks. You understand very much that group sensibility of individuals trapped in a corporate setting and they want to be free and liberated. And in fact, they are going to be substantially more free and liberated. But do they have the skills and and all the confidence? Yeah, absolutely, Julia. And confidence is one of the, the most key things. I remember the uh, legendary cosmopolitan editor Marcel Dargy Smith um, after she'd been in a corporate role for years and years when she eventually left she was in inverted commas freelance and her motto about freelancing was manage your morale and I think that's really relevant for the pandemic because we've all learned how difficult it is to manage your morale when you're working from home, when you don't have a team behind you, when you're not seeing people the whole time. And I think that's maybe going to be a bigger challenge. And that is really what the hybrid challenge is. It's, it's a problem, I think, sometimes of location rather than 
of ways of working and, and Josh mentioned that isolation is one of the biggest problems and that knocks on to confidence. So for me, the thing that really, really stands out as being difficult here is what Richard uh, was talking about there. It's to do with structure. You know, when you're freelance, your life is unstructured unless you structure it. And there's going to be a huge problem, I think, for employers who think that they can maintain the same kind of contact and relationship with their people if those people become freelancers, because they will no longer be in charge of structuring those people's time. That's a great point about morale and the sort of psychological challenge. And actually, we should have seen this coming because this is actually the lesson of outsourcing of over 20 or 30 years, which Richard touched upon, which is that there was this sort of naive thought way back that oh, outsourcing makes life simpler for managers. But it really doesn't because these new relationships have to be managed very, very carefully. And if we're talking about hybrid in a, in a generalized, vague way, we are going to go wrong because it's actually quite a high maintenance world, which, as you say, Viv, some freelancers are quite used to, but a lot of us perhaps aren't quite as ready for this as we might think we are and managers equally aren't ready to manage it. Josh what I like about Groove is that you're really trying to cater aren't you for this new generation of atomized individuals who need to collaborate and come together could you just talk a little bit about Groove in relation to trying to help ameliorate if not solve this this problem? Yeah, with pleasure. Can I just touch on something that Stefan just said just before we jump into that? Because I think one of the things that I see day in and day out and it comes up often and, and the, the use of the word manage, especially in a hybrid world, becomes a very interesting word because because trust is probably the underlying premise of why it's very difficult for employers. We're currently building a product that is designed for individuals. We don't have a product that's designed for teams, specifically because there's a reorientation, I think, for my social world within my work to be defined on my terms. But I often get employers or team leaders coming to me and saying, wow, Groove could be such a great way for me to know what everyone's doing and to manage and to see what people are doing moment to moment in their day. And I said, how can you foster? And okay, in an office, that might be an understandable situation. But as soon as we distribute the team, whether within a country or across the world, if, if we're not focusing on building healthy cultural behaviours around trust building, then, then we, we failed at, <laughs> at step one. What is Groove? If you are in Tel Aviv and I'm in London and we're trying to work together, what is different about it? We're building virtual co-working for people that live non-traditional career paths. People that don't, whether they're freelancers, independent workers, or want to build hybrid lives. We saw, actually, I saw for myself over COVID that it was an isolating experience. So I just invited all my friends to a WhatsApp group and we started doing daily co-working sessions together. We'd meet at 11 a.m. and we'd meet at 4 p.m. Everyone was working on different things, but we'd get a real social nourishment and structure in our day and an ability to increase our sense of accomplishment as much as our accomplishment because feeling like I'm winning in my day when I'm sat at home is the hardest thing even if I tick off everything on my to-do list I can still feel like I failed because where was that reflected back into my life? So Groove really comes in and has been an emergence from that, that embryonic experience of our own to say, OK, so how is this relevant for everyone that wants to build a sense of connection and community in their day through structured social interactions? Richard. Yeah, so let me jump in here. So there was a business book that came out about 10 years ago that, uh, that I hate, and it was called uh, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. 
Okay. I hated it for a whole multitude of reasons, mainly because my boss gave it to me. It was a Christmas present one year, um, <laughs> thinking that it was going to help with my career. But the, but the rationale here is it, I've always believed passionately pre-pandemic that if you take care of the small things, the big things will take care of themselves. And so hearing Josh speaking reminds me that the biggest opportunity for people to move hybrid and move freelance is people who can take care of the small things. People, Josh mentioned social nourishment, for example, who can think about it. It's not just about the big strategic, you know, and when you're in a massive corporate, it's everyone's thinking about, you know, what are the five big strategies for the year? And now we're going to go out and make them happen. Um, I've always looked at it around the other way, going, okay, how are we going to build this from the ground up? What are the small things we need to think about? And that does mean the human connections. It does mean confidence. It does mean connectivity. It does mean really making sure people understand the role and the value that they are going to play in part of the process. And then when it then comes to payment, the actual value exchange that we get to, three things will always come out in this. When we think about the employer, employee, the freelancer, people are gonna get paid in money, check. People are gonna get paid in happiness and people are gonna get paid in what I call favorable credits. And favorable credits are um, in essence where you're doing favors for people who are in your ecosystem. In Josh's WhatsApp group, for example, you're having these sort of shared experiences as a consequence, your relationships, your trust grows, you're able to pay it forward for the next project. And when you're um, liberated from the traditional contract, you know, annual contract that most of us sit in, you're able to then benefit a lot more from being able to do work for multitudes of companies and people, which enables you to have greater connectivity and be able to pay it forwards. Do we think that this time a year from now, the freelance hybrid world will have embedded more? Or do any of you think that there's a wish or a desire to sort of snap back to the pre-COVID state? Is there a case, and Richard, you've put your hand up. I mean, it can't be back to what it was, can it, Richard? And should it? No, it can't be. It's because the simple truth that um, offices were designed, especially the world I exist in, which is sort of things like marketing, were designed to follow the hours of shops. So retail shops, nine to five, five days a week. If you're lucky, you've got Wednesday half trading and you're open on Saturday morning. Now, so therefore offices have sort of followed this weird 38-hour week uh, system, whereas what we've all learned through the pandemic is that human beings digitally transformed to the 168 hour a week economy. So human beings now consume content and purchase products however they like over 168 hours a week, which means that we as people have recognized for the first time that we are freer from our contracts for a full-time job than we've ever been before. We can decide to start work at five o'clock in the morning. We can decide to work till midnight. We can decide to not do any work on a Wednesday and do it on Saturday. And I think that epiphany that most freelancers already knew has really hit hard with a lot of people that the 168-hour economy does not jive or chime with regular 9 to 5.30 offices and the sort of the anachronism that maybe the physical construction, the edifice of the office that too many of us know and understand, just on the basics of security passes not being designed to let people in at times in the morning or let you in at the weekend, for example. Josh? What do you think? I, I was just going to add to that, that one of the things that hasn't come up in the dialogue, but I deal with day to day as I speak to our users, is this new generation, Gen Z, entering into the workplace, who never knew the office. One of my biggest fears around this hybrid, this freelance world, 
is we all take for granted. I had a corporate role for 10 years. I know what it was like. I knew what the office was like. I knew when my day started, ended. I knew the social dynamics that were important for me in my own week to, for me to be nourished. You've got a generation that it's a double-edged sword. One, they only know a digital world. They don't feel confined by the nine to five. And at the same time, there's a real work for us to do to to give them the skills to allow them to thrive in a world where they didn't know the office. A lot of our early users, they, they go, they're looking for the thing that they lost when they left the office. So they knew what they were going to hunt for and said, I need structure, I need connection, I need to ch like share my accomplishments with people. These things make me feel good. The challenge will be, what if I don't have an imprint of those things? Where am I going to find them? And I think that will be a big thing as, as Gen Z take over the, the workforce over the next 10 years. Mystic Viv, perhaps you could look into your crystal ball for us. Yeah, my crystal ball is, is uh, pulsing with excitement at what Josh was just saying, because I think that that whole analogy around Gen Z is actually mirrored for everyone because they may have never worked in the office or around corporate culture. Well, the rest of us haven't either for the last almost two years. And the thing that you have as a freelancer in this kind of free floating outside the structure form is something to kick against. You know, I couldn't have been the successful freelancer unless I had initially uh, had an office job for about five years before I became a freelancer over 20 years ago. You know, all of my connections were built on engaging face to face in a working world. And what's fascinating to me is as that working world fragments, where is that division between freelancers and office workers anymore? Because for me, the two things needed to coexist in order for the one to nourish the other. And now that it goes so free form, how do we all interconnect with each other and maintain those links when we're not able to do it face to face in the way that we always were? And I think that's right. And to paraphrase a, a great speech of many eons ago, I think Ich bin ein Freelancer is going to be a reality for all of us, even if we are employed in the big corporates. And you've been fantastically instructive. Thank you so much, Mystic Viv Groskop, Josh Green, Richard Robinson for joining us in this discussion. Thank you all. Isn't it interesting, Stefan, we recorded that discussion before the new edict to work from home. And don't you think there's just going to be more and more people leaving to go freelance because it's just too much hassle now going back to the office, if you are, of course, a hybrid have and have a say in it? Well, yes, the latest survey data seems to suggest as much as 50% of employees are say, well, if I can't do hybrid, if I can't continue constructing my own rhythm of work through the week as, as it suits me as well as you, well, I'm going to be off and I'm going to start my own thing or find somewhere more amenable, more convenient to work. So I think that's absolutely right. It's, there's not going to be any less of it. And what I really liked about this particular discussion is it was really quite practical. It was practical about the working changes happening, the way Josh describes Groove's exciting model. And Viv Groskop, of course, she's always really close to what actually matters to the people who do the work. And her point is that you still need old fashioned things like confidence to go freelance. There's a, there's a bit of a skills gap, isn't there, emerging that's the reality. I think these extreme moments can bring out the best or the worst in managers and in people. And the pressure is on for all of us to kind of raise our game in that way. But also, like Viv says, keep it real. 
True. Well, what is real is that time marches on and we're not only at the end of the episode, we're coming to the end of the year and we're heading towards Christmas. And so let's raise a glass to you, an actual glass, even if you can't see us, to our listeners. Thank you so much for being with us on the Nowhere Office. You can always contact us. We're finding new ways to involve our listeners on the show in series three. Follow us at the Nowhere Offy One on Twitter, etc. That's right. Thanks, Julie. It's been great fun so far. We've got a couple more episodes in this series, series two, which will come to you in January and then straight on to series three after that. So lots more to come from us and from you, I hope. So we just jingle a bell to you to say this has been an editorial intelligence production in association with Money Penny, and our producer is Callum McRae. Happy Christmas. <laughs>